Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. Somebody who's been abused will sit in the pew and say, well, I didn't have it that bad, so I'm not going to tell anyone. Or I had it so much worse. I'm sorry that happened to him, but he doesn't have a clue. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. you're going to get both. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So you don't want the story that you have to overshadow other individuals' freedom to look at themselves or to speak for their, their own suffering and things like that. Welcome to Life Support. As we begin the new year and nearly three years of life support programs, we want to revisit something from the past. Our most popular two programs to date with Christian psychologist and counselor, Diane Langberg. Dr. Langberg has a message that resonates now more than ever, a message addressing the uncomfortable topic of trauma and the church. Coming to you via Zoom, here is Pastor Paul with Diane Langberg. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Hey, it's good to have you on Life Support. This is a program where we seek to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ through suffering. Because many times God uses suffering in our lives to to bring us closer to him and help us to understand ourselves better. And I have a tremendous guest that we visited with last time, and we're going to talk again today. Her name is Diane Langberg. She's uh, a psychologist who deals with trauma and abuse inside and outside of the church. She's done this for many, many decades. And I want to really tell you how many decades because <laughs> I don't want to date her and get in trouble with her. She also um, has a really great book coming out. And Dr. Lambert, thanks so much for being with us. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. We talked last time we left off. You were telling a story about a woman who um, you couldn't figure out what words to say, couldn't figure out how to help her. And then the Lord prompted you just to ask her, help me to know what it's like to be you. And you learned so much from her. Tell me about the average Christian person who's dealing with a friend. Let's say we're in a community group setting and it's prayer time. And someone has the courage to say, you know, I know you think our marriage is perfect, but I'm suffering, I'm being abused, or something along that line. Most people would just freeze in their tracks. I can almost see the silence in the group. What would be a good first step if that happens? And we want that to happen. We want people to be free to say that. So what would the rest of the group do? How would you enter into that? Well, I think you first of all have to recognize that you have been granted a tremendous honor. Hmm. You have somehow given hope a small place in that woman's heart or she would never say anything you also know something of her desperation or she would never say anything my inclination would be to say that took a lot of courage and i'm honored that you've told us or me whatever and i want to hear more when you feel safe and are ready to tell us and I want to understand so that we can come alongside and walk with you 
and find help and safety for you because it's not supposed to be like that ever. So you want to take the idea away that this is normalized and it's not okay. Because she may feel like it's a normalized relationship, right? Maybe she was abused by her father. Now she's in an abusive relationship with a husband. And maybe she thinks every relationship is like this. Yes, and she's also kept hers a secret. So for all she knows, everybody else is too. Yeah, right, right. She doesn't know. And if she's never heard anything about it from a Sunday school class or a a pulpit or somebody in in the women's ministry saying, I read this great book on domestic abuse and how we can respond as a church and passed it around. Nobody's done anything that says, we know this exists. So So the the courage that she has is huge. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of courage for people to come out and say those kinds of things. And it doesn't happen very often. And I, I, I hear you saying, and much of what you're saying really is, what is church? And exploring ecclesiology and understanding what do, what are churches for and what do, what are we a body uh, about and who do we follow and all of these different things that we don't talk enough about in churches. And what you're saying is really, if I'm hearing you correctly, is we're not supposed to be fixers. We're supposed to be enter-inners, which is a new phrase that no one's going to pick up on. But we're... We are to be incarnational people. We're not to fix people. Maybe we can direct them to people that can help them, for sure. But we always want to fix. And you're yes, saying, no. Because the problem makes us uncomfortable. It's very mm-hmm. egocentric. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we want the person to feel better. But we don't want to have to deal with it. We don't know what to do with it. It makes us uncomfortable. If that, if that marriage has abuse in it, well, how do I know all these others don't? Or maybe it makes me look at something in mine. What the church is supposed to be is the word made flesh. Yeah. Unfortunately, many times it just becomes a um, top-down organization that people have to play their role and the actual person gets lost even within a small group setting because even there you have curriculum and you have things you need to accomplish and you have your fellowship time and food and there's very little time for people to be what you're saying. and. As we look to the church in the future, and we come out of this COVID-19 situation, if we ever do come out of it, um, the church is going to look different, I hope. What is, I your, what is your hope for the church? I mean, when you look at the long-term future of the church, and let's just say America, because churches around the world are quite different than they are in America in some places. What is your hope for the church, Dr. Lamberg? What would you like to see the church look like? Well, the short answer is Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I would like her to um, be known for her humility. I would like her to be known, as was her Lord, for entering into the suffering of others and bearing their wounds and burdens with them. I would like her to be known for her integrity and obedience to him, no matter the cost. Even if it means the whole system blows up. That's a scary thought. It is, but um, there was a time when there wasn't a system like we have. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it actually was full of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I, you know, I, I think when I go back to the woman that I spoke of last time in terms of teaching what it's like to be you, that what I realized over time was that what God was saying to me, <laughs> that's also what you need to say to me, because I said it to you. I came in the flesh to learn what it's like to be you. Now to go and do likewise. That's who we're supposed to be. So people can say, oh, you tell me God is a refuge. That makes sense to me because you've been one to me. Mm -hmm. You say God is a refuge to somebody who's never known a refuge in their lives. They're going to think you're nuts because all that means is God is calling himself something he's not. So you'll get in close to him and he can hurt you. It has to be demonstrated, mm -hmm. lived out, mm -hmm. which transforms us, which is the point. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds so simple, and but it's all truth. And I'm, I'm looking forward to your book. Tell me about your book that you've got coming out very soon. Well, as I've worked through the years with abuse, I've come to understand that the one of the great underlying problems and unspoken issues in the world, but certainly in Christendom, is how we use power and how we use self-deception to make what we do with power okay. And so it talks about different kinds of power, like, for example, somebody having verbal power who can stand in a pulpit and orate and sound brilliant and be theologically profound and everything else and be abusive. Hmm. Um, and we hear the oral gift and the power there, and we dismiss or hide the abusiveness. So we tolerate the misuse of power for the sake of the gifts, which are not character. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, gifts and character are not the same. Um, so there's a lot in it about different kinds of power, how power can be misused in the home, how power can be misused in the church, uh, how systems can misuse power. So it's not just individuals who do, but entire systems. And how much deception runs through all of that, both of the self and of others. Um, and then I talk about what power looks like in Jesus, hmm. what we're called to look like, uh, and how he exhibited power through humility, through love, through truth, through death, those are all ways we do not think of as powerful. Yeah, when you when you mention these things, I mean, my heart just jumps, and I I so much want people to understand what you're saying to them because they'll have to read the book. That'll help. That's right, and it's called <laughs> Redeeming Power, right? Yes. Understanding abuse and and yes, authority, and it's coming out uh, very soon. It's already available on Amazon. It is, and, and it launches in October. Okay, and you can check out Dr. Langberg too at dianelangberg.com. Yeah, it's also um, on the website. Okay, so I'm a pastor and I'm in a local church and I love my flock and I'm tuned into them as well as you can be in certain contexts. How do I know what signs am I looking for to, to, to be concerned about someone who might be being abused. Are there things that I can look for in a person's behavior, in their body language, in how they interact with other people in the church where I could tune in and go like, oh, I need to find a way to lean into that? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> but sometimes 
people who have been and are being abused are the stars of the church. Mm. They know how to run things. They know how to be hospitable. They know how to make things grow. What they do is try to ignore the abuse and use their gifts in order to protect themselves, but also to do good. Um, so it doesn't always show up. It can be quite varied, actually. Um, but it, it also trauma silences people. It affects the, how they speak out into the world. So even somebody extremely articulate and competent who never says anything personal, who never shares a feeling that would indicate some form of pain or weakness. So sometimes it's the absence of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Others, they're screaming vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, but both of those can actually be the presence of abuse, past or present, or both. So don't assume that your superstar volunteers are coasting along and everything's fantastic for them. Nope. Ask them, who do you talk to mm -hmm. when you aren't feeling like a superstar? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, who, who knows what's inside you? Do you have a safe place? Things like that. So a pastor wants to help his church to become a place where people can feel safe. Uh, a pastor like me that has some abuse in his background wants to create that kind of a safe place. How much should a pastor share? I mean, this is always an issue for me. I've got, yes. I've got this in my background. I've got, you know, I've, I've got grief that's happened in my life and, you know, these different events that happen. How much should a pastor share of his, his or her own journey? Because I know that's important. People need to see this person as real, but yet it's kind of a line that you don't want to cross either, right? It's, how do you go about trying to figure that out? Well, I'm not sure I have the golden answer to that. Mm -hmm. Part of it, I think, depends on who you're talking to. You're talking to the whole church, or you're talking to an individual, mm -hmm. or you're talking to a small group, and what is the focus of the small group? And so all of those kinds of factors, I think, need to be considered. I think, um, and I've certainly heard pastors use stories like that, in a limited way, is an illustration. Um, so it's more like a parable, I guess, mm -hmm. rather than this is all about me, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, not that you're not honest that it, isn't, that it is about you. You are. But the point is, it's for the purpose of illustration in something bigger or the purpose of identification, which is another reason you do not want to give too many details because somebody who's been abused will sit in the pew and say, well, I didn't have it that bad, so I'm not going to tell anybody. Mm -hmm. or I had it so much worse. I'm sorry that happened to him, but he doesn't have a clue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. you're going to get both. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you don't want the story mm -hmm. that you have to overshadow other individuals' freedom to look at themselves or to speak for their, their own suffering and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I would also think that one of the ways it would show up is that it would inform how you speak to people and they might not even know it. Mm -hmm. You know, you've been abused, you know what it's like to feel powerless. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing that I would think it might show up in, you know, I've been, 
when I talk to churches and things like that, you know, we stand up and sing a mighty fortress is our God. And we have lots of people in our churches who don't even know what it's like to have a fortress. There are places where those kinds of things can be said that you would be sensitive to because of your own history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and also your history can inform you, particularly those who've been abused as children. You no, know, children are egocentric. I'm sure you haven't noticed that. You know, um, yes, I actually have quite often. <laughs> so, but, but the point is that when they're abused, then it's all their fault because that's how they think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are places where the ways that something like that hurts someone as a child that they can speak to as an adult who's teaching. You know, listen to me, children. When people do bad things to you, whatever they are, it tells us about them, not mm-hmm. about you. Mm-hmm. You do something bad, it tells us about you. But this is what God says, that people who hurt other people, it comes from inside of them, not mm-hmm. from the person they're hurting. So there are ways to teach those principles uh, that you might not think about teaching if you hadn't had some experience. Right. Okay, I'm going to take you down a road here that um, is kind of about the church institution a little bit, and and I'm hoping that you can help because I know we have pastors listening right now. Um, I hire staff. Other pastors hire staff. Uh, We put them through interview processes. We check references. But given the statistics that you've outlined in our time together, there are pastors out there that are abusers. not going to name names. We don't know the names, but they're out there. Well, some of them are in the papers and we do know. Some of them are in the paper. We do know. (laughs) So I guess a simple question would be, how could I possibly explore this in an interview process to make sure that I'm not hiring someone who has that in their background or is an active abuser? Because the references aren't going to know it, right? Well, they might. Likely. They might. I mean, there's a whole thing of cover-up all over the place. Yeah. You might see this is a great opportunity to get rid of somebody. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So they praise them. Well, unfortunately, the bottom line is you can't know for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, humans are master deceivers, not only of others, but of themselves. So, but I, I would certainly have questions in the process of uh, walk us through a time of great grief in your life. Um, not just in terms of something that you, someone you lost or whatever, but also walk us through a time of grief over yourself. Hmm. Um, What is your understanding of what's happening with abuse in the church? What do you think if a child comes forward? Not just what would you do, though that's important, but how would you feel? Hmm. Mm -hmm. How would you take care of yourself? So there have to be questions, I think, like that. Again, there are master deceivers out there. Yeah, but you're exploring around the edges. And so you're yes. looking, you're, you're, you're trying to get a, a pattern or of answers. You're, and, and the Holy Spirit's also involved with this process, too. Yes, course. he is. And I, I would also, I mean, abuse basically means to mistreat. So if you reduce it, which is not how we use it, and I don't use it that way either, but the fact is that's what it means. 
So that would include all of us. Mm-hmm. And as I always say, everything human is on a continuum. So, you know, you can get the worst, most hideous sociopathic pedophile on one end and somebody else completely on another end. But the fact is they both use deception. <laughs> yeah. They both misuse power. Yeah. So those are questions you could ask. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be in a position of power. You've already been in one. How do you use your power? What are some ways you're sorry that you used it when mm. it was for yourself and not for others? What did you do about that? Mm. Yeah, if they say, great. I've never thought about it, then that's your <laughs> that's a good That's a good clue, right? <laughs> um, how do you keep your head above water when you're somewhat immersed in this topic and you're dealing with people who are so broken and it's such an ugly topic how do you how do you keep hopeful how do you how do you keep yourself sane when you know all this stuff's going on in the church well the assumption of course is that i'm always sane (laughs) (laughs) that now let's talk to your friends about that part (laughs) (laughs) well that's one of the answers actually um some years ago at least 20, maybe more. I, I was in the car on the way home after a particularly horrific story that involved a church and was pounding on the steering wheel and told God I quit. I didn't ask. I announced it. I'm done. And at some point, and I was serious, and at some point he nudged me, for which I'm most grateful, and basically said, okay, you're going to quit. Write down the reasons you're going to quit. So I just wrote down words, you know, this is ugly, it's hellish, it's dark it's you know whatever and then was prompted to write down the opposites on the other side of the page this was days later for the record so i did you know ugly beautiful dark light whatever and i realized in writing that list that he is the other side Mm -hmm. and i realized two things one is i must pursue him of course but i'm just a person and I must pursue those in human ways. I need beauty and I find it in nature. I love the woods. I love the trees. I love planting flowers. I, I, I love, you know, complete disorder is what comes to mind when you think of abuse. I listen to Bach. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> he ever had a disordered right. note in right. his life. Right. So I have to feed myself. Mm-hmm sort of like he did the prophet, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. just like a human being. Yeah. I have to feed myself the opposite of those characteristics. And then, of course, the other piece of it is that it is, he is, he is the opposite. And it altered my, increased, not altered, it increased my hunger for knowing him. So I am up every morning early reading, studying, thinking, praying, very precious time. And the focus is not knowledge, though I do gain knowledge. Mm -hmm. The focus is him. Mm -hmm. And I like dead guys. Mm -hmm. I read G. Campbell Morgan. (laughs) I read Oswald Chambers. Mm -hmm. I read Samuel Rutherford. You know, I, I, that's, they knew him. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, please don't quit because we need you. The things you're saying are, they really shouldn't be revolutionary or, you know, but they are. And they're amazing. And I want you to know that you're appreciated and that what you're doing is really important. 
Thank you. And I really appreciate you spending time with us. And tell me about the book real quick. Again, Redeeming Power, coming out real soon. Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church, published by Brazos, already available on Amazon. You can get it through my Twitter account. You can get it through my website. Okay. And you can also check her out on Twitter at Diane Langer and at dianelanger.com. So, Dr. Langberg, thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Thank you. It was a privilege. And what we're trying to do here is just help you to know that there's hope. And Jesus is that hope. And she referred to that. It, really, the flip side of all of this stuff we've been talking about is, is Jesus. And so Isaiah 43, 2 and 3 tell you that when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of repression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God. And so please don't give up. Please turn to Christ. There is hope no matter how dark your situation may feel, no matter how isolated you might be, God is there with you and he has a plan for you. And so I hope that you find that hope and life support is here for that purpose. I want to thank our partners, Faith Radio, Five Stone Media, and you can check us out at Ridgewood Church here at myrwc.org. Thanks again. And we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support